Welcome to the session. This is the Blueprint Soccer Podcast, and I'm your host, Clint. If you find this podcast valuable, please share it with your teammates, friends, and family. Enjoy. And we are live. On this episode of the podcast, we are joined by a member of the 2010 University of Akron National Championship team. He was also named as the NCAA Tournament Most Outstanding Player, 2012 First Team All-American, and has appeared in over 200 games for the New England Revolution, Scott Caldwell. The unofficial mayor of major league soccer a hard man to get a hold of that a lot of people want to hear from scotty thank you for taking the time my friend yeah thanks for having me clint excited to be on yeah there's a lot i want to talk to you about i want to talk to you about your your upbringing in the sport from your time as a youth soccer player uh to the university of akron to now over 200 plus games in major league soccer with the new england revolution and there's uh, often excuses made by players that uh, I'm not fast enough, I'm not strong enough, and yet you're one of those players that don't really hold all those abilities to, to your, uh, as aren't your strengths, yet you've made a career uh, in the league, um, and congratulations to that. So to get the, the conversation started, for the listeners, can you talk about your, your upbringing uh, in the sport, um, and then where you grew up, what the environment was like, um, and then hopefully that leads us into to the University of Akron, and hopefully touch on some points from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I grew up the youngest of uh, of four kids. So I had three older siblings, um, mom and a dad, who were all involved in soccer and, and other sports as well. Um, in general, but I, I grew up in a very competitive family and one that uh, played a huge, huge role in my development as a soccer player and as a person. Uh, ever since I can remember, I was I was around the soccer field, uh, soccer ball was on my foot, uh, whether it be at my older siblings' practices, at their games, uh, or, or just in our backyard or basement, uh, playing one-on-one against against my older sister. Uh, you know, getting into to competitions from a young age, I just grew to love the sport. Uh, became a dream of mine that I wanted to be a professional soccer player, uh, specifically for the revolution. And I, I kind of used that, that goal and dream, uh, to drive me, uh, through my development years and, and to where I am today. Uh, a, a lot of stuff came up, you know, you mentioned a few things, but we'll get to that later in the, the conversation. But, uh, ultimately I, I played other sports too. I, I played baseball, basketball, I, I did gymnastics, which also runs my family. And I, I think that, that, uh, having a, a you know a, a well-rounded athletic kind of uh, development is huge especially in soccer just to have you know to avoid any burnout or uh, injuries and also to, to keep the love of the game fresh uh, in everyone's mind so yeah, that's interesting uh, gymnastics huh I think about that yeah. with with uh, with potentially my kid here down the road a uh, future kid hopefully uh, with I want him to be involved or her to be involved in soccer. And I think of the other sports or other activities that would be beneficial towards a a soccer player because now you see all the time, it's just 
soccer, 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 basketball, whatever the sport, and there's no you know, diversity in the kids' athletic life. And I think of, of sports like, or, or activities like uh, jujitsu, you bring up ju- gymnastics or, or swimming or, or biking to build up the cardiovascular system, to build up balance. That's interesting that you bring up gymnastics. To what extent did you actually do that and for how long? Yeah, I wish I, uh, looking back on it, I wish I did gymnastics a lot longer, to be honest. I stopped when I was maybe eight or nine, but mm-hmm. it gave me a good base. Um, my brother, my older brother, who, who played at Brown University and got drafted by Colorado, never actually played in the league, he did it till he was 14 or, or 15, and he really developed a, you know, a little bit more quickness and strength than I did. So, Interesting. So just knowing that and looking back on it, I really wish I had done it longer. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, other sports that are good. You know, any any type of uh, basketball helped me. I, I wish maybe I, I stuck with tennis a little bit. You know, sure. just the lateral quickness, uh, different times of that, different ways of athletic movements are, are huge for soccer. So, uh, but the gymnastics was beneficial for me, and I, I think it's great for any kid to, to do. Yeah, you bring up burnout as well, and I think there's a lot of kids that are experiencing that now because it's so single sport, you know, specific where it's. You know, I'm going to just, I'm going to have a, a, a say, for example, I'm going to have my kid just focus on soccer from seven years old till whenever I think is detrimental to their growth as a, an athlete. Um, I haven't experienced it firsthand, but what I've seen from the outside with other kids where it's just soccer, soccer, soccer all the time, you see a lot of kids burn out from, you know, the ages of eight, nine to, to 13, 14. I think there's a statistic that most kids end up quitting soccer around the age of 13 because of that burnout and the loss of love in the game because maybe they're doing it too much and, and they're not being involved in other sports to experience some, some of those other activities. Um, you bring up your, your whole family being involved in soccer. Who is a major influence and, and how has that impacted throughout your, your youth career? You bring up playing soccer in the basement with your, your older sister. Um, who else was, uh, you know, a, a yeah. big influence? Yeah, my, I mean, my dad was a, a youth coach of mine, so and he played soccer as well. So that was, uh, you know, I think he really got it instilled in the family. But uh, growing up, my brother, who was seven and a half years older than me, he was a huge influence. Uh, I loved watching him and his club team play. They were, they were one of the best teams uh, around. Uh, you know, winning state cups every year, winning regionals once. So they had a really group, a, a group of talented players, and I loved watching and learning from them. Um, and, and like I said, my older sisters as well. So I went to their youth practices, but really the the one-on-one front yard and uh, basement matches, you know, we were so competitive. We were two years apart that, uh, you know, similar athletic ability. She was probably faster than me until I was in college maybe mm-hmm. even you know until a few years ago yeah and uh and so we you know one of us always uh ended up crying whoever lost was was crying and, and running away and it really like the competitiveness was was a major factor in both of us uh succeeding and, and continuing to grow yeah i think that's one of those lost things today where a lot of kids aren't getting out in their backyard and it's like i don't want to play with my sister why am i going to do that they're not going to make me better but anytime you get touches on the ball i think it's an opportunity to get better uh what was the club situation like for you let's move into that and and the environment and and how you progress through there and then um you know your background you're you're an intelligent guy and i don't I've, i've had this conversation with uh 
with a few of the, the other guys. I talked to Adam Najem, and I don't want to downplay Akron and the education, but I, I brought up Adam because he had opportunities to, or his brother was at uh, Columbia. His sister went to Columbia. He had opportunities to go to Ivy League schools. And in all honesty, Akron and Ivy League schools, educationally speaking, aren't in the same category. And I know, I'm pretty sure you were on a similar path academically. Um, so how did you decide University of Akron? Let's all transition into that. So from the club scene up until um, your college experience. Yeah, so when, when I was growing up uh, playing club soccer, I played for a small club, South Shore United Blazers in the suburban Boston area. Uh, and I, I was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to have a really good coach. Uh, the coach up until last year of, of uh, Boston University, Neil Roberts. Um, his son, Danny, was on the team, and we, uh, you know, we were very fortunate to have a good good club coach and not everyone uh not everyone has that i guess but but uh did you choose sorry sorry did you choose did you choose that club based on the coach or how did you decide to play for for the club you did yeah it was a combination of a few things for sure so my brother played for that club and they were a little bit bigger and better uh you know prior but uh the biggest reason was probably the coach and the, the group of players just knowing you know from age 10 on that we were going to continue to develop together um, sure. and the coach yeah it was a huge factor in that yeah um, I, I, and I think my parents my parents probably made that decision for me you know um, but it was it was a huge decision and one that uh, you know I'm thankful for yeah I always find uh, it interesting sorry I find it interesting how players uh, choose the club that they played for because so often today it's just the club that prior to the DA closing I want to play for a DA club regardless of who the coach is or, or what the the success of the the club is it's more of a, a status piece to play for the the DA club or now MLS Academy or you name whatever league and, and they lose track of okay who's actually running the team is this going to be beneficial to my development and they get caught up in some of the variables that at the end of the of the day are irrelevant. You want to play and learn from a coach that understands the game and is going to look after you. You may may not be on the working for the best team, but uh, he will look after you in the the long run and help your development. Where if you go into a maybe a, a DA club or, or a MLS Academy club, uh, and not directly talking about MLS teams, but the ones that have joined the the um, league. Um, based on the status may not be beneficial to, to the growth. They may just have some guy in there that uh, knows somebody and, and has, has uh, gotten snuck his way in. So it's just interesting yeah, no, to hear that. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like you said, you know, you need to find a, a coach and a team that has your best interests uh, in mind and one that, you know, really wants to focus on your development because a lot of clubs and uh, are, sometimes can be into the you know winning and losing at too young of an age and really that's you know yeah you, you want to be competitive you want to be mad pissed off when you lose uh, but that's not all about results you know at a certain age it becomes more about results but it's all about development and and at some age you want to be given the opportunity to play for you know an MLS Academy team or whatever because that can help push you to to eventually be on the first team like I was fortunate enough sure. to do but but it, that's at a certain age, you know, you don't have to do that 
at a U12, U13, U14. Like, I don't know when that age is, but you, you need to continue to develop and have a coach and a team that has your best interests in mind. Nah, that's well said. That's well said. So you progressed through that club uh, throughout your whole youth career. Or at what point did you make a transition to, quote unquote, bigger club or, or make a change, if any? Yeah, so I played. Yeah, I played up one year, um, which was also huge for my development because I was always considered a too small, too slow, um, not physical enough player, uh, and so I had to, you know, deal with the the older, bigger players, um, and that sped up my my mind. That sped up my development overall. And so there was one year I had to leave the club because all the other kids were in high school, mm -hmm. uh, and so I had to play a, a year with my own age group. Uh, and then from there, I was fortunate enough to be invited down to Florida as part of the residency program uh, with the under-17 national team, and that was eye-opening for me. Um, you know, I was brought in as a development-type player, not someone that was going to be helping the under-17s come their, the Youth World Cup cycle, but uh, what I had thought I had just gone through with playing with older, faster, stronger players, it just multiplied by two, three times when I when I got down there. Everyone was uh, way stronger than me, way faster than me, uh, way more developed physically, and I had to learn quickly uh, in order to survive on the field how to how to uh, to play and how to adapt to to the game and change my way of playing. Yeah, that's really interesting, and we'll <laughs> I want to definitely get into that. Uh, part of how you learn the game and, and, and really how you've adapted. Um, but I want to talk about college first um, be, and how you came to, to the decision of attending University of Akron. For, for the listeners, if you're not familiar, University of Akron is one of the most prestigious soccer programs in, in the country. Uh, I think one of the highest win percentages since 2000. And ten, alongside you know, Wake Forest, uh, Maryland, uh, schools of that nature. So, University of Akron academically is not put in the same category as as Ivy League schools and some of these other top schools. Yet, it's an extremely strong education. I just want to make that clear so the listeners don't think that oh, this is this is a joke. I don't want Jared to come back all mad. Oh, you're talking down about the educational piece of it but the reality is it's it's not a an ivy league school i think we can can all agree on that so how did you make the decision because i find it so interesting as to how players make their decisions for this process and i think it's important for the listeners to hear how people other players have made um their decision to to attend a particular school yeah a lot went into my decision um i i Sought the advice of you know my my club coach growing up, my parents, my older brother, uh, a few other uh, prominent people in my life, and, and other coaches that I've had, just to try to to get a good grasp of you know what they think is best for me and where I should um, go. And so I think that's important for every every high school kid you know going to college. But ultimately, it is you know it should be their decision. They should be happy and. and and uh, confident in the decision they make. And I ultimately, I, I probably went against some of the advice because I didn't go with a, a you know, a top tier academic school, but I, you know, I trusted the people at Akron and um, I knew they had an honors college. I knew that I could still push myself academically to get a good degree uh, and, and 
to be able to um, use that to my advantage later in life because uh, ultimately my goal was still to play professional soccer and that was the main reason why I chose Akron. I thought uh, Caleb and Jared, uh, the two coaches at the time, um, and the, the team on the field was the right fit for me. They played the right style of soccer. They loved to keep the ball on the ground and to, um, to pass and move essentially and not rely on um, on being physical or, or playing, you know, aerial balls and, and deep uh, long balls to to get the attack started, and that uh, that was really huge for me. Um, uh-huh. I'm sure you can you can ask some more like detailed questions. Yeah, but I think it, it fit the style of play for me. I, I you know I, I really I felt like I had a um, I knew a lot of the guys on the team already, and I thought it was the the right fit and, and a place that I'd enjoy going to. Yeah, for sure. I, I hear that from from a lot of players when, when they choose the University of Akron, the style of play and that you're a fit that, you know, it's not solely based on athleticism where, you know, if you go to an ACC school, maybe you don't develop the way that you have over the the last uh, or four years that, that you're in school. Um, you get lost maybe in the, the physical side of the game and you're undervalued even though you may be unbelievably technical or have a high IQ of the game where a lot of schools base it around the athleticism and, and you know playing longer balls in and, and being more direct and taking advantage of that and, and trying to nick a goal and then, and then defend. Um, so the fact that you saw that um, and really evaluated the situation and saw that you benefited from it is is uh, is good to hear and, and encouraging to hear that hopefully players can also make a similar evaluation on the program uh, and decide on, on their academic experience and also see the uh, athletic benefits of the program and really dive into if it is a fit for them. Um, I want to yeah, talk about... Go ahead. I'll just add in one more thing, just because I really felt like it gave it gives players uh, and that program for me gave me the best possible chance to to be a professional soccer player. Sure. And that's not to that's not to downgrade the importance of academics for every every kid out there. You know that's huge because more likely than not, you know, a player won't become a professional, and and even if you do, the career won't be long enough to really um, to to give you an income that'll last you the rest of your life so there's sure. more important stuff after soccer and academics is a huge thing huge part of that but uh but like you said akron academics is still good and right. i felt like it was a solid program and one that could still put me in a great spot to succeed later in life yeah here's something that i've been thinking about and working on here a little bit because i'm trying to figure out uh, a lot of kids uh, in high school age players are looking to make the jump to the professional level and I, and I want to clarify this point where yes every player for the most part when they get to, to high school has the dreams and the desire to play professionally somewhere right and I think a lot of players lose focus in the incremental steps to their development during those high school years you're extremely level-headed and have seen a lot of the game, a lot of different experiences. How did you continue uh, to progress as a player through those high school age years? Because like you said, your, your ultimate goal was to, to be a professional soccer player, but how did you, uh, I guess, manage that and, and take those incremental steps? Because 
was it your fre- it was, let's say was it your freshman year of high school where I was like look I gotta I gotta get into a pro team I gotta sign a pro deal or what incremental steps throughout your high school career or did you even then think about you know I gotta use college as a stepping stone where I think a lot of players are missing that step what did you gain from your your college experience your high school experience to obviously now you're a pro to to get to that that step to that platform yeah i you know my high school years i mentioned briefly uh going down to florida i i was up against a lot of uh a lot of strong athletic uh great soccer players and so i had to learn how to play quickly i had to adapt my game um so in addition to to the work ethic and the the um training every day i had to do extra work on the side i had to you know get in the weight room a little bit try to improve the stuff that i wasn't good at but more importantly i had to get out to the field in the afternoon and and continue to work on my technique continuing to to improve the strengths of my game and and my passing and my connecting um and my fitness levels so that was in my high school years I, i used to be a dribbler i used to really like to get forward and get in the attack and i had to i realized that i wasn't quick enough i wasn't gonna be you know good enough to do that and I had to change my style of play. Once we got into once I got to the University of Akron, I was fortunate enough to have a coaching staff that just continued to develop. They really they, obviously winning was 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 important, most important I'd say, but they didn't lose focus on, on the development of the players and I felt like I was able to improve each and every year I was there uh, in a different aspect of the game. I didn't think personally I was ready and I never had an opportunity to play professionally until I was done with college. So for me, it was, I was fortunate that I didn't have that distraction or, or that tough decision of, of leaving school or playing. I know some people, especially now with the development academies and, and kids signing at younger ages more often now, yeah. I know some kids are put in that, that position and it's a decision that, you know, a tough one that they have to make. But for me, I was fortunate enough to know that if I just stayed on right on the right track and continued to improve and get my degree, then I would have that opportunity post college career. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to think if if I worded it properly as well because a, a lot of players get ahead of themselves too. Was there a point in like your high school career where it's like, all right, I'm ready to go pro, or were you did you have this level head for the most part? Like, wow, you you talk about the experience at at IMG and residency and not every player gets that opportunity but for let's say a kid is unbelievable on his club team and then he's got this club coach in his ear that's like you're ready to to go pro let me see if I can sort you out to to go pro and he may be the top player on his club team but he hasn't played against you know uh, or he hasn't been in an environment let's say like New England Revolution let's say there's a top kid in in Vermont right? That's unbelievable. And he's got this coach in his ear. You got to go pro. You got to do this. I'm going to set you up with uh, this club. And you put him in, let's say, with New England Revolution's Youth Academy. And he's like bottom of the totem pole. I think like that kids get ahead of themselves where then they lose focus or they get discouraged. Maybe they think they're all that. And then they, they fall off. Maybe they are extremely talented. My point is, I feel like a lot of players get lost during the freshman year of high school to their senior year because there are these stra- these distractions and they're told certain things and they think they're better than they are and they stop working to uh, maximize their their potential. Yeah, I, I'm sure that happens with a ton of kids, especially nowadays. Uh, you know, I think that they need to 
to if they ever get that opportunity to play at a high level, if they ever get that opportunity to jump and get into a training session with a professional team, then one, they have to take that opportunity. Sure. And but two, they have to be honest with themselves and self evaluate when they're done because if if they think that they can can do it, then you can't also, you know, lie to yourself or you can't mm-hmm. you can't just be overconfident. You know, you have to stay grounded and know what your goal is and know how you have to continue to improve because even if you do make it and sign a deal the job's not done there you know you'll be out of the league or you'll be out of a contract real quick if you don't continue to push yourself and improve Mm -hmm. yeah no that's a that's a great point let's talk about your freshman year at the university of akron that's 2010 correct or 2009 2009 okay so you were on two of the best teams ever in the in the program's history, or arguably two of the best teams in, in program's history, what was that transition like from your, your uh, club career as a as a high school age player to going into, like I said, arguably one of the best college teams ever, not winning a national championship in two thousand nine, and then going back to the the final and then winning in two thousand and ten. What was that transition like for you as a player? growth you experienced, players you were around, what uh, Caleb demanded out of you, Caleb Porter, who's now the head coach of, of the Columbus crew. Talk about that experience and, and your perspective on how you uh, approach training, uh, your schoolwork, etc. whatever you, you want to talk about. Yeah, I was, uh, I started, I came into the University of Akron in January of 2009, so I was able to acclimate to the college, to the academics, to the team. Uh, in the spring season, which was really huge for me. Um, by the time you know the fall season came around, I already had a good idea of everything going on, and I realized how talented the team was. I I spent a majority of that uh, my freshman season on the bench, watching uh, watching how our team just you know really run through college soccer that year, um, win after win after win. Uh, making it to the final finally I you know I stayed healthy all year a couple guys got hurt so I got my chance to play in in college cup which was really a great experience um and that kind of helped me uh with my with my with the next year you know getting into 2010 so still I think 2009 we had the better team uh than 2010 it was incredible how good uh, some of those guys were and it was eye opening for me going from the residency program to the University of Akron and seeing that it actually was was a much higher level, mm-hmm. um, which surprised me. Uh, and then 2010, you know, I was able to continue to learn from the coaching staff, and I was fortunate enough that the last year I spent primarily on the second team. Uh, and when you're playing on the second team in any program, you're having to play 11 v 11 versus the first team. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of times you're getting better just from playing against better players, better opponents in training uh, compared to the games. So trainings became harder than, than the games for me, and that's what helped me you know, get to the level I was in 2010 where I was able to consistently play and uh, contribute to that team. And uh, you know, it was a really great run. We were able to win the national championship, and it was you know, yeah, a really incredible experience. And, and just that team success brought on more success for all the individuals. So sure. you know, it, it was really, really great experience for me. 
what what was the environment like uh, amongst the team? And could you like the the day to day environment in training? Like you talk about some of the players for the listeners that aren't familiar with those two teams. Let's talk about some of the guys: Darlington Nagby, Darren Maddox, right? Uh, yeah, Kofi uh, Sarkodie. So, so you can I'll, run through the yeah, teams. Yeah, I'll run through. I'll run through a little bit. The 2009 team. It, um, another thing that I'll add is is how intense uh, Caleb. Porter is, and how intense uh, some of the the veterans on that team were. Uh, you know, the junior, senior, upperclassmen. They were just such great leaders. It really instilled this intensity and, and competitiveness amongst the team, and that really kind of that set the standard uh, moving forward for my whole my career there. Um, so, you know, Caleb and Jared as coaches, uh, among others as well, um, and then upperclassmen guys like uh, Blair Gavin who was one of the most talented uh, college players that played uh, Ben Zemanski, um, and then other veterans who, who also, and, and this is this is going side off the, you know, Go off for track it. a little bit. Go for but, it. But it's so important in a team to have guys that uh, also kind of connect everyone together. You know, yes, everyone wants to play, but to have the team chemistry and to have uh, the leadership it's so important to have guys that are also okay being on the team and, and not being the top contributors and this was something that we had it was such a well-rounded team um, so you know a lot of veteran guys that that contributed there uh, and then guys that ended up playing professionally um, Chris Korb, Chad Barson, Zarek Valentin, Kofi Sarkoti, uh Blair and Ben Zemanski, like I said, Anthony Ampipatakwa and Mike Nanchoff, uh, Teal Bunbury. The whole uh, starting 11. <laughs> yeah, and, and guys on the bench. The whole starting 11 and guys on the bench. Uh, David Mavis, the goalie, and then the bench, you know, Ben Spees, myself, uh, Eric Stevenson, mm. who was yeah. was registered his freshman year, and he became a professional. Um some other, yeah, it, it was a really, you know, it's some a other special players group. who, who uh, yeah, it, sorry, I, I could keep going because those guys were so talented and such good players. It was so impressive um, just to be a part of that group. Uh, and then 2010, more guys were were added to it mm-hmm. uh, to, to help the, the run to the championship. Yeah, no, it's a special group and being able to see it firsthand, that's one of the, the special things about that program where the the tradition that's passed down from the older guys, the seniors and juniors, uh, passing it down to the, the sophomores and freshmen and feeling that responsibility to carry on uh, the success of the program. Um, so a lot of players, we, we talked about it earlier and it's one of the big things that I wanted to talk to you about because it's one of those uh, topics and conversations that, you know, if you're not athletic, you're not fast, you're not uh, you know, you're not quick enough. You're not going to make it in Major League Soccer. You know, I was probably a culprit of that excuse to an extent as well, um, where it's like, you know, I'm not fast enough. I'm not athletic enough. You know, it's it's too much of a physically demanding league. But like I said, uh, when we first started, you've now played 200 games in the league. How have you adjusted, and and what have you done off the field, on the field? to you know negate those let's call it weaknesses speed strength and use your your brain and, and awareness iq understanding of the game to 
play these 200 plus games and, and still going strong. So a lot of players want to make that that excuse. I'm not fast enough. I'm not strong enough. You know, I'm, I, I'm not a fit for, for Major League Soccer yet. You don't tick the boxes of, of being the fastest and the strongest. So what's the secret? How do guys get it done going forward? <laughs> um, no, I don't think there's a, a secret, but I, you know, there's, I'm going to try to touch on a few things and this is just off the top of my head. I could probably, I probably should have, uh, come with a little written thing, but, uh, no, no, you got you know, it. One thing, just work ethic. Um, you need to work harder than the guy next to you. Um, you have to stay healthy. So that could be, um, that could be doing, you know, prehab, rehab, you know, different different forms of of, of stretching and lifting to, to stay healthy. Uh, you have to be adaptable, so you have to be able to play you know multiple positions and be able to to also uh, learn on the fly and realize what's working for you or what's not. And you have to be coachable. You know, I think that's huge too because if you have different coaches in your career, if you have uh, uh, you know, uh, certain ways that the coach wants to play, you have to be able to adapt and change to how he wants to play to, to stay on the field. Mm. Um, I, you know, I I don't know. There's there's probably a whole lot more. You can ask more specific questions. So here, to, so yeah. so how about this? How about this? For example, there are players out there that are just as talented as you. You get this opportunity in the league, right? There there are so many players out there that are like. All right, I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not quick enough. I need to get out and do uh, speed ladder and and parachute running and and hill sprints and yeah. and get in the gym and do do uh, you know pull ups, uh, bench press, <laughs> all these different exercises to potentially strengthen those physical weaknesses. Did you spend time trying to? increase your speed agility or was it like all right let me focus on uh my awareness how can i develop my my uh you know iq of the game obviously jared yeah. is, a, is a big piece of of my understanding of the game and developed so much from him and like i i've said it hindsight if i maybe got him a few years earlier i'm a different player was there an impact that that he played or was there a coach that said look you know you're not the strongest you're not the fastest who gives a shit let's focus on your, your opening of the body so when you receive, you get the ball off your, your foot quicker. Is there something like that that yeah, you can touch on? Absolutely, yeah, that's that's well said. So so I obviously, I always still try to get faster and try to get stronger. So I'm doing it every, every, uh, every year, I you know, I say, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. But some, some of us just have physical limitations and can't get there. Uh, it's the reality really, of it. It's the reality yeah, of it. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but but you have to play with the cards that you have that you're dealt. Of and, course. And so, I you know you always have to improve your your weaknesses, but even more importantly, you have to continue to develop and improve your strengths so that they get so much better than the, the person next to you. So, like you said, I'm always trying to, and, and this is where I, you know the, over the last few years, I feel like I haven't done a good enough job. I'm almost. Uh, you know, not reverting back to old habits, but trying, it, it's hard to continue to do it, but raising that awareness, looking over your, checking your shoulder as the ball's coming in, being confident and comfortable on the ball. Um, things, you mentioned Jared and how, how much he helped you in your game. He was able to show me a, a ton of tape throughout my four college, years at college. Uh, 
and how I had so much more success on the ball when I could see the whole field, having received it, seeing the whole field, having my body open. So if, my, if I'm not checking my shoulder and able to be able to get the ball in the half turn sure. or to, to open up and see it, then I'm either going to be passing the ball backwards or I'm going to be giving the ball up. That still happens to me today, trust me. It's not going to be perfect every time, but but that's a, a key focus point of something that you know you can continue to do. You watch film on yourself. You um, you continue to, to work on your technique, your passing, your strengths. So if you continue to improve your strengths, then uh, that's you know obviously you want to continue to improve your weaknesses too. But but getting better with your strengths will just help you even more. Do you watch a lot of game film, like prior to, obviously, as a, as a professional, I know a lot of teams focus a lot of time on, on game film, but in college and in your, let's call it your off season, in between, you know, the seasons, do you watch game tape on, on your own or do you try to decompress a little bit and get away from that? A combination of both. I definitely watch some uh, in the off season, but not much in the off season. Uh, I watch a lot uh, in season, trying to watch, learn from my previous game. Also, watching the team that we're about to play in case I'm matched up with someone who, okay. who has certain tendencies and all that. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I feel like a lot of the game tape during the season is just for match preparation. Um, so I didn't know how much of the the game film that's watched in season uh, is actually beneficial towards your individual development to, to making you better for the next game or if it's more of a focus on the opponent to prepare for certain tendencies like you said yeah a lot of the stuff is a lot of the team film that that's shown is, is for more uh you know the full team a few par- parts uh for individuals but in order to get a full grasp you really have to watch it yourself and just key in on 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 yourself and be uh, honest with yourself. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that's really undervalued that a lot of players don't do enough of. And and with the access to technology now, going back and watching your games, I think uh, whoever you are, if you're uh, a 12-year-old or going into college or in college, I think it's essential to watch games because you can pick up so much from from what you see in that video. And the video doesn't lie. When a coach tells you something, you may you know question it, but once you have it on video, there's no denying it when you when you see it uh, and you go back and rewatch it. So um, here's something I want to get your thoughts on because I, I just thought of it and it ties into developing or, or working on weaknesses and, and continuing to you know strengthen your, your strength. Here's something that somebody actually said in a coaching course. I'll, I'll keep the name out of it because I think it's a, a crazy uh, comment, but he's pretty high up there in terms, I don't know if somebody wrote this out for him and he was told to say it or it's a, a strong belief, but tell me if you if you agree with it or, or let me get your perspective on this this quote, all right? If, if I won't go quote for quote, but I won't do it word for word. If you are a strong left-footed player, you should only use your left foot. Don't worry about working on the right foot. It was something in that in that ballpark where it's like if you're a lefty, uh, just work on the left foot. If you're, you're if you're messy, you don't need to work on your right foot because you have the strongest left foot. Don't worry, don't worry about it. What do you? What's your thoughts on that? Because this is part of that continuing to work on your weaknesses and, and you know focusing on your strength, kind of balancing that. I think it's kind of absurd to say don't worry about your right foot because you're just keep working on on the strength of your left foot. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I mean, you have to all you. 
if you're a left-footed player and you can specialize in that as some top-level players do, then yeah, you continue to work on that left foot and make it special, special. But you have to keep work. You have to work on your right foot too, because if you're just one side, it's so much easier to defend someone who will only go one way. Um, you know, we we have several left-footed players, and, and just on my team now, Carly Skeel is such an extraordinary player, and he's left-footed, primarily left-footed. Sure, but. But he can use his right foot too. Right. So you can't dis you can't discount that, and it makes it so difficult to defend him because he can go either way. He's yeah, you know, shift shifty like that. And if someone's just left footed, it just makes it that much easier to defend them. So so how about this then? Let's let's change it and say that this player is unbelievable at dribbling, but can't can't really cross a ball, right? So just keep on dribbling. Keep working on your dribbling. You're really good at dribbling, but you can't cross it. You can't cross from deep. What what would you say? Just keep dribbling. Work on your dribbling. You can dribble anybody and then you, you got to be you got to be proficient in in everything. If not, you got to be somewhat well-rounded in my opinion. Yeah, you can yeah. be you know, sure you can never cross the ball, but then you have to make sure that when the game comes, you're playing to your strengths and you're not crossing the ball. Because then, I don't know. That's <laughs> a crazy statement. It's such a difficult thing because you you, you need to, to work on your weaknesses, absolutely. But mm-hmm. if you can be so special at one thing and, and focus on that, then that could really separate you from everyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's it. People are probably like, how the hell did these two get to, okay, just dribble if you're really good at dribbling. But here it is, right? This is why I'm bringing this up because, like I said to you, you're not the strongest, you're not the fastest. There are other players that aren't the strongest and the fastest. But do you even bother on focusing on that or do you focus on, okay, my awareness, my my uh, uh, IQ of the game, uh, those l- things that you probably can control a little bit more, watching game tape understanding the game okay if i'm in this situation i need to do x y or z instead of like trying to expend all this energy and time on trying to get faster and stronger like like we started real early okay i'm gonna send my kid to speed school they're gonna go to to, you know personal trainer five times a week and and they're gonna become faster and stronger where maybe you go and do like you said tennis and you naturally work on the your lateral movements and and it's more organic progression you know so that's how we got to just dribble if you're really good at dribbling and keep focusing on that and don't worry about crossing the ball (laughs) well i i actually i want to add too i think it also depends and this you know this could depend but i think it depends on when what team you're playing on what position your coach want coach wants you in and what your role is on the team because we have guys that come in all the time to our team and you know the coach the new coach or the you know his old coach had met as a winger this coaching staff wants you as an outside back so now you have to focus okay you know how am i going to help the team on the field i'm do i have to change something do i have to adapt a little bit do i have to now work on my crossing because they want me in different spots a spot on the field um so I, I think you also have to, as an individual, you have to see how can I help the team and what do I need to improve uh, to play my role on the team. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it, it's that's a little bit off uh, off script there, but it's you know it's you have to look in how you can help uh, your team succeed. Yeah, I think that goes back to you uh, saying you know really evaluating 
what your strengths and what your weaknesses are and how you can improve them. If you're not honest with yourself with being able to evaluate performances, then at the end of the day, you're not going to progress at all. You need to be extremely honest with yourself. Were you, what point were, did you get extremely honest with yourself and learn that is an important trait? If I'm not honest with myself, I'm not going to develop. Or did somebody you know, get through to you, a coach or, or, or your dad or, or one of your siblings where it was like, look, you got to be more honest with who you are as a player? Yeah, it was probably my brother and my dad. Um, you know, they were... I, I, probably my brother more so um my dad was trying to be you know give confidence and all that like yeah but uh once you learn how to do it yourself and realize um what you need to improve then then everyone else can kind of help you out and build you up if you're the one uh you know finding your faults which is not necessarily a good thing either you have to find a balance between uh being hard on yourself trying to get better and also enjoying enjoying what you're doing because that's most important yeah that's well put that is well put. Six years in the league you've now played? How many years? I'm in my eighth. Eighth. Eighth season. Eighth yeah. season. All right, so he, here's what I want to transition into um, you know, as a, as a last talking point here before we wrap up. Eight years in the league, this ties into to what we've talked about um, with you know, continuing to, to transition and, and understanding who you are as a player. What what have you seen first-year guys struggle with the most in the league uh, when they've transitioned from, you know, another league, college, uh, the youth academy? Um, what has been one of the biggest struggles and hurdles that they've had to overcome to adjust to Major League Soccer? I know you've only experienced one team, so there may be different cases for, for each team. Um, but from your your perspective you're like i said you're you you see yeah. you've seen the game uh from many different viewpoints you've seen a lot of talented players i'm sure you've seen extremely talented players that haven't made it make it and then you know average players that have made it so um can you talk about what the biggest transition is for players when it's their first year in the league it could be a veteran that comes over from europe that needs to adjust to life in in new england and major league soccer or a young college kid that you know did a semester at school and is now signing uh uh with the the first team yeah so i'll tackle this two different ways because the the veteran guy coming over from from europe or you know a guy switching teams um it just might be the atmosphere of the team, the style of play, having to, to deal with that. That might be a challenge for them. Um, you know, the league of, you know, the league style of play may be different than where they came from or the teams in particular may be different than, than where they came from. Sure. But I'll focus more on, on the college kid coming into MLS. And this will also reflect a lot of, you know, high school kids going to college. I think the biggest mm. challenge is being a, a star on their previous team, playing every game, every minute, really contributing a lot to potentially watching games from the sideline and being able to take that in stride, continue to work hard, continue to learn, see what needs to, to be done to get on the field. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge a lot of, of young guys struggle with. Um, and it might be just as much mental as it is physical, but if you're not going to jump right onto the team and, and play games and you're not used to that, then how do you deal with that? And how, how do you, uh, how are you able to remain focused on your goal and continuing to improve? 
that's uh, well said. What, for example, let's call it a, a younger guy that's come over from overseas that maybe was a big time player on, on like you said, their team uh, and is expected to do the same, but then struggles. Why, why do you know some of the players that come in that ha- have maybe come from this uh, extremely successful environment or they were extremely successful in their environment and then they uh, struggle in, in another environment? What Obviously, not every case is the same with players, but is there something that is maybe consistent where you know they don't you know, embrace their teammates or try to relate to their teammates and, and build relationships or, you know, they're too stubborn to adjust to, to the style of play or they want it to be all about them and, and they want their minutes and well, maybe they're not getting the ball enough. Uh, or... it's a, that's a difficult one. I, I think you, you touched on it. It's different for every situation, but um, it's really tough to to pinpoint one thing or, or even a couple things of why someone might not succeed. You know, it's tough. I've never been playing over in Europe, so I don't know what it's like there. So sure. I can't really say how different it is to here. And I can't really, uh, you know, attribute any of their, any particular guys, um, you know, struggles with, with, a, with a certain reason. So I, you know, I think it's a combination of maybe, not being used to the, the style of play, not being used to the style of life and living here. Um, you know, the travel is always a big factor in, in MLS compared to other leagues. Sure. Uh, you know, we're, we're traveling on, on planes more than any other team. We're traveling longer distances. Um, we play throughout the summer months where a lot of the other leagues do not. So there's a lot of differences, and, and I can't really attribute any, any one reason uh, for, for someone's struggles okay how about this curveball that i'm gonna throw at you you just got traded it's the first thing that you do when you get to your new team new city to adjust to life (laughs) uh try to find someone on the team that you have a prior relationship with or can get to know quickly so you can kind of learn real quickly what's going on Uh, that's that's an amazing answer and I put you on the spot. That's a that's a very good. I would have said the same thing. I would have based it on some sort of relationship and trying to you know find out you know as much as I could from that person the ins and outs of of how to be successful or how to adjust to life and you know what is what is coach not like? What do I need to avoid yeah. as much as possible just so I can ease my transition here? No, that's a that's a phenomenal yeah, answer. So. All right, the way I wrap up the podcast is I want you to share your most memorable soccer experience in your career. Could be from your youth time, your your time at Akron or or a time as a, as a pro. And please, please don't say the the Giovinco experience. <laughs> I wasn't that didn't even cross my mind, but now that you brought it up. Uh, Did you ever get him uh, back for that? What's that? You ever get him back for that? No, but I will say we won that game. That's all so that matters. I think actually earlier, he got me back for earlier in the game. I could be confusing two games, but it's just for the sake of the conversation. Let's say it was the same game. <laughs> the same game. Uh, I, I, you know, poked, I don't, I don't tackle very hard, but I poked the ball away from him and we scored on the counterattack. That, that um, counts. That's a move got, and that's a goal. I don't know if you're going to be, if you're going to be uh, attaching that clip to this podcast no, or not. No, no. I will not. But people can look it up. But yeah, he got me good. 
most memorable though, uh, I'll say, I'll say winning the national championship in 2010 with Akron. Um, you know, anytime you, it's, it's really difficult to win trophies, to win championships. And, um, and our team, uh, did, did such a great job that year. And it's a memory that I'll always remember. Um, I always have that, you know, there's a few in my professional career that I have too, that are more sour and hopefully we can uh, change those. Uh, you got some time here. You got some time here. That is, that's, uh, that's one of the things that I talked to, to Jared about in, in our podcast. He, uh, he brought up that 2010 game where you, uh, was it the semifinal or the, the, it was, was it the final where you didn't start or what he was talking about Mac championship final. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I don't know. I'll have to listen to that. Two, that part I of think the it was was it 2010 where it was the MAC semifinal or final where you didn't start and then you were told to be put in and you and you scored or am I thinking of somebody else? Um, Did you score in any semifinal or final? Yeah, yeah. So we had. Um, I like I. That that playoff run was probably my best five or six game run in my career uh in terms of producing so i i was fortunate enough that it came at the right time uh, okay. i don't remember that particularly okay so though. that's that's what i think it that's what i think it oh, was actually i i know what it, i know what he probably was talking about so we lost one game that that year against cleveland state that's what it was okay this is what it was yeah he told and, he told caleb to put you in and he didn't yeah so i um, early in the season, a few of us in that position, there were like there were probably nine or ten spots in the lineup that were just locked up, right. uh, and and seven of those guys ended up going professional after the season. So very understandably, they were they were locked in in those positions. There was one or two that really were up for grabs throughout the year, and you know a few of us really good friends were were battling for you know those spots. And so throughout throughout the beginning part of the season, we were kind of back and forth. But I, I played every game up until Cleveland state. I think Kofi Sarkodie was injured and we had a good relationship on the right side. So they didn't play me that game mm. because, you know, my guess is Kofi wasn't playing. So, and we, we had a good, you know, relationship combination there. Uh, so they played other people. I didn't play and we lost that game, which was a really tough loss. Um, and then that was their only loss of the year, and then they, they threw me in for the rest of the season. That's what it was. Okay. That's what it was. And I, I believe Jared, he might try to take credit for it, but I do believe him that it was, uh, that it was his idea to, to get me back out there. He trusted me. He believed in me. So. Yeah, I guess something where, where uh, I guess it was a hectic game against Cleveland State. He suggested you to come in and, and steady the ship and... and you end up didn't going you didn't go in that game and then like you said lost that game and then you were put in that whole college cup final run uh obviously winning the national championship and you played that that whole stretch and jared was like that told you so we would have went undefeated if you, you made that move so that's what it was so i guess i got to confuse it with, with somebody else who scored the goal in the final of that game the the screamer that wasn't you who was it perry the, the screamer no yeah I, I scored it but i wouldn't call it a screamer well that was a game-winning goal in college cup right 
Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. You scored the game-winning goal in College Cup. This is what I'm trying to get across. So I wasn't going crazy. No, no, you're oh, going okay. crazy. Okay, so that's the one that I'm going to attach instead of the, the Giovinco one. Uh, you can do both, though. The, the Giovinco <laughs> one will have more views. <laughs> Why were you so so passive on that, where I was just like, I knew that. I didn't, I didn't know exactly. I didn't know what you were talking about exactly. Um, you didn't know. But yeah, you no, didn't. <laughs> but yeah, no. I I had a good out of those the seven playoff games. So there was two math games and five NCAA games. I had five goals in those seven games. Okay. And but that's the I've never been on that stretch or that run of games before. Like of you know, streak of goals had never been. All right. So what, what lit that fire under your ass then for that period to score all, to have those performances? Was there something that you can put your finger on? Um, no, there were, I mean, yes and no. Like, all right. Think about who we had on the field. We had Darren Maddox, Darlington Nagby, um, Michael Nanshaw, I think who was was Empire ten? Yeah, like the the attacking the amount of goals and assists that those four and and guys on the other bench and probably listen, uh, missing guys mm. the amount of, of production out of those guys throughout the season. I think I don't think I had a goal. Maybe I had one goal all season. Mm. So so teams understandably weren't putting focus on me. And I got a few really good opportunities, and and was fortunate that I actually I took advantage of them. Yeah, you took advantage of them. That's hard to do, though. You know, That's hard to do. That's a huge part of it is taking advantage of opportunities, and yeah, and, and timing and taking advantage of the opportunities you're given are, are huge parts of of success. And so I was fortunate enough for that. Yeah, it's really well said. All right, so I'm glad we were able to to uh, clarify that that you did score. <laughs> in the final because that's what I was trying to get across. I didn't know what game, if it was a semifinal or final in the MAC or College Cup tournament. So it was the f- game-winning goal in the 2010 College Cup final. I have that correct, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. The you're so you're humble. About, you are the, so the humble. The screamer, the screamer you're talking about is Perry's Perry Kitchen's okay. goal in the semifinal. Sem- semifinal. The, the game before that, he scored from like 40 yards out okay it's ridiculous all right yeah but still you you scored a goal that's all that matters in the final game winner (laughs) doesn't matter how it goes in they all count right scotty that's right first shot was going up for a throw in got that (laughs) rebound (laughs) all right scotty i appreciate it uh good to talk to you thank you for making the time all the best uh the rest of the season thanks for having me clint really appreciate it uh uh, you know, good luck. Hope, hope uh, your your other guests are just as great. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best one. Everybody's waiting for this oh, one. Perfect. Everybody's waiting yeah, for it. We'll see. We'll see.